0: Welcome to another episode of Green with Envy, brought to you by Celtics Noise. I'm your host Greg Manakis, joined as always by my best friend Will Weir. But today we welcome in a very special guest, the man who brought you Buck and Aikman, esteemed alum of St. Paul's Choir School, and a founding member of the Belly Rub Boys. Tex, the one and only TBA. Ted Barry, welcome gentlemen. to the
1: show. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for that uh, hell of an intro. I'm pumped. I'm ready to go.
2: Finally. Back,
1: back to the choir school.
2: The Belly Rub Boys have assembled. We are in the uh, building. Assembled. I love it. are back, baby.
0: <laughs> so what was the actual origin of the name Belly Rub Boys? Was that a Lynn Murphy special? I think I think it was a
1: Thanksgiving. I think it's a, a seasonally appropriate. because I'm pretty sure it came from one of our Thanksgivings
2: at, at the trap house. So it's definitely Thanksgiving. So it's definitely seasonally. I I can, I can confirm that as fact. The only thing, I don't remember who came in and said it, but I do remember at at our old house, the trap house, uh, I remember somebody walked into the living room at one point and it was just six or seven dudes in every seat imaginable in the living room. Just watching football, rubbing their bellies, and it was either I think it was either Emily or Lynn, just like, oh, looks like we got the belly rub boys in here. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: To be because- fair, that what that wasn't limited to just Thanksgiving, but that yeah. was the the point of origin for sure.
0: Exactly. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that does that definitely sounds like an Emily or a Lynn phrase to come up with. I think so. We'll give them both credit for it. So, Ted, welcome to the show, man. It's, um, you know, for those of those of the listeners that don't know, me, Will and Ted, we had a, a blog back in the day. that was called Buck and Aikman. Uh, I don't know that, that that would fly in 2020. That's but, my first thought. It's definitely not making it off the cutting
2: room floor in uh, in 2020.
0: But we've been wanting to get Ted on the show for, for a while now. You know, we're midway through uh, season two just made the switch over from uh Celtics noise to officially calling the pod green with envy uh, so we're excited about that we're just gonna we're just gonna keep it moving that that's the name from now on um so we're, we're happy to have you here Ted
1: I dig it thanks for having me on I'm, I'm pumped I feel like it's, it's overdue for sure I know we had a lot of big plans over the years and I'm pumped that you guys have, have moved forward with us so appreciate you having me on
2: yeah, man. And we hope this will be the, the first of many times that we get you to join us for various topics. We're gonna we're gonna try and get a little, little creative with what we do here. And we always wanna have have your mind as something that we can bounce ideas off, bring you in. And you know, you were nice enough to, you know, obviously what we're gonna get to here. It's a little bit sad, but we're gonna try and talk about it in a in a joyous way, the passing of Tommy Heinz and the Celtic legend. And, you know, you are you were gracious enough to share with us a paper that you wrote back in college, I believe, where, you know, you talked about your time as an intern at, at, at the time it was still, I keep getting this all confused, whether it's Comcast, Fox sports, New England, NBC, I can't keep it straight, which one it is. Cause I feel like um, it constantly is changing, but you were an intern there and you had some really awesome memories specifically centered around, you know, the great late Tommy Heintzen. And um, yeah, I mean, we shared it on Twitter, I think the day of or day after Tommy passed. But Ted, I mean, tell us a little bit about, you know, what it went into writing about that experience with Tommy and just kind of what you took away from it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, It was an awesome experience, whole whole internship that I did. So it was, it was Comcast Sportsnet New England at the time. Um, We joined as a production intern in, I think it was January, 2010. Uh, right around the the start of that school semester in college. Um, So reported up to an associate producer, did a lot of kind of odd jobs, you know, basic data entry, recording, um, kind of key plays from different games, uh, and a database that could be accessed later on. A lot of kind of the the boring, mundane stuff that goes into it. But then kind of got to do more and more as I went on. Um, That just so happened to be the year the Celtics went to the finals uh, against the Lakers. They had a pretty deep playoff run my internship was supposed to end kind of at the end of that school semester around, around May or so. Um, but I just so happened I got to kind of extend on because they went pretty, went pretty deep in the playoffs. Um, so a lot of cool things I got to do uh, a lot of cool things went into, you know, researching trends and um, kind of opponent stats and metrics and things like that. So a lot of the things I got to do later on the internship, um, I got to see turn up in the, uh, during the game itself, Mike and Tommy would use some of my stuff, that I'd put together for them occasionally, you know, whether it was pregame or postgame or even kind of a mention here or there. I got to watch those games at home and be like, I put that together. That's a stat that I, that I came up with. Or at least I told myself that. Maybe somebody else came up with it too, but I gave myself probably more credit. No, that's, um, a,
2: Ted, that's a Ted Barry stat. We got we to gotta start keeping track of the ones that you fed them so we can just call that the Ted Barry stat. Yeah, they, are, they, always,
0: they always talk about uh, Dick Light. But you know we got to get those Ted Barry stats in there. Did you ever get to meet uh, the the legend Dick Light that they're always talking about during the broadcasts?
1: No, never got to meet him. Um, I didn't go. You know, the kind of the talent at, at Comcast wasn't really in the building too much in the office um, where I was. You know, I usually worked during the days and and then recorded some shows during the days, but mostly in the studio. So we did a lot of the the end work. Um, but later on, towards the end of the internship, when the Celtics were going to the playoffs. That's where I got to go to a couple of the games, got to meet some of the talent, and then, you know, as we'll get to in a second, that that Cavaliers game that I got to see, uh, meet Tommy at, was pretty much a culmination of all that, and just what a, what a day that was! That was a pretty pretty eye opening ex- experience.
2: Yeah. So from that, I know just reading through the article, it was almost like you had like a bird's eye view of just like almost studying. Tommy Heinsohn in his in his element just being able to kick back and it's so interesting to think of you know Tommy not announcing the game and and you know how he treats that what were what were some of the things that that you noticed being you know I don't know if you were five ten feet away but in that same vicinity as as Tommy Heinsohn what what was it like to what was it like to watch Tommy watch a game?
1: Yeah, it was really cool. I think I wrote in the, in the article, the biggest thing that stuck out was, you know, what I was excited about was this is the uncensored, unfiltered Tommy. So, I mean, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't dropping F-bombs every other word, but there was definitely a few uh, phrases and words that he tossed in that wouldn't have made it to, uh, to the, the cutting room floor if, if he was doing the actual game itself. This was the second round of the playoffs, so Comcast wasn't doing the actual games themselves anymore. Okay. So, I was just there to help with the pre and post game. Uh, and obviously Tommy wasn't, you know, calling the game himself. So that's where we were in that um, kind of like the sports writers, the production um, lounge there, they had kind of like a buffet table set up and a lot of the sports writers would watch the games on TV from inside the building. Um, because in a game like that, the press box is packed to the gills. You know, you can't fit anybody else. A lot of national reporters in there, things like that. So a lot of the local beat guys were in that room uh, and Tommy just came in and yeah, I was a couple tables away from him and he was, he was just kind of sitting by himself, you know, a couple of the guys would come up and say hi to him and talk, talk to him for a minute or two, but they kind of left him kind of to his own devices. Um, and me, you know, if, if you read that article, I was kind of starstruck, you know, a little bit pinching myself that I was I was there, <laughs> kind of fanboying over uh, not just Tommy, but all the other uh, writers that, you know, I, I grew up reading and, and seeing on TV. Um, but I definitely parked myself pretty close to Tommy and just, just got to watch him. Um, so yeah, it was it was unfiltered. Um, I think it was so cool though, that he was, you know, he'd be half paying attention to the the TVs. He wasn't just, you know, raptly watching the entire time, but he seemed to know everything that was going on at, at, at all times, you know, it just somebody like that. And you can just tell, I think I put it in the article. I mean, you know, cliche is he's forgotten more about basketball than I will ever know in my entire lifetime. Um, so it was, it was pretty awesome to see that. And and I got to meet him and, and shake his hand. He was, you know, Pretty uh, pretty short. He didn't, you know, stick around and, and talk to me too long. Like, uh, like I got I got to talk with Mike Gorman before, um, but it was just just watching him take in this game um, and the game that he was watching too, with with Rondo going off for uh, an insane triple double and and just you know it's almost like a, kind of his his his
0: 2010 coming out party. Uh, it was great to see that. That's cool, man. And so as Tommy's watching the game, would you say he's like? the you know the center of attention within that room like are people kind of just like drawn to what he's saying in the room is he the most vocal person in the room like is the you know the 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 classic calls that we hear during the game that Tommy used to do just like the run get the ball and run is he doing that stuff or do you think that's more of a performative thing that he used to do during the broadcasts?
1: I think it's a little bit of performance, but there's definitely that comes from what he actually thinks about the games for sure. Um, Like I said, he wasn't exactly the center of attention. He wasn't, you know, yelling or or making a big scene, but, um, and I think part of it was, it was all the beat guys in the room. that These guys see him, you know, every day uh, during the season. Um, But I think there was a little bit of performance that you see that comes across in the broadcast that he used to do. Um, But definitely the, you know, the mindset is still there. There's still some of that, you know, my favorite quote is of all time is anytime you call something bogus, that was bogus. <laughs> there are a couple of those with some, uh, some, choi- some choice words um, to, you know, kind of modify that. Um, so it was definitely a little bit of a little bit more subdued, but also uncensored at the same time, which, you know, felt a lot more real to me. And it was just fantastic to get to witness it.
2: I don't know if I'd be able to, to keep my fanboy together. If I was in the same room with Tommy Heinsohn dropping a bogus in the middle of a playoff game. I, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I I just can't, it's so interesting to think about, you know, the Tommy that we're so used to hearing and seeing a, a game and then, you know, stepping back from it and just looking at him, just, just being a guy, just, you know, just a guy watching the game. That's really ultimately, you know, what you're looking at. And it's, you know, it's, yeah, I'm with you, Ted. I don't know if I would, would be able to stop myself from, from fanboying out.
1: Yeah, it was really cool. And I think I put it in the article too, Was I got the sense that this is just what he, he would do at home if he wasn't the, you know, broadcast for the last, what is it, 40 years? He would just be watching the Celtics at home, doing the same exact thing, you know, having the same reactions to these calls, you know, maybe making a little bit of a scene, but uh, but it was just so cool to see that, you know, kind of away from his, his broadcasting side.
2: Um, it was great. I do have a quick question because I feel like every time I've ever thought about Tommy at home watching a game on his own he's got to have some type of like whiskey or scotch like he feels like a like an old grunty man that's just drinking whiskey or scotch straight maybe like one ice cube where it's like that little just little bit of water in there did he have a drink at all just I know he's still kind of on the job but I'm just curious to know
1: not that i could see i was thinking the same exact thing i was like this would be you know this would be perfect just icing on the cake for this um it was during the day too i'm pretty sure it was a it was a weekend afternoon game not that that would make <laughs> any difference i guess but um and uh, you know it's one of those things if you, if you heard his especially his later broadcast it was kind of that assumption there too it was like is he see him, see him one or two in him right now um, but I think he was, you know, keeping a head on, on his shoulders and getting ready for the post game. So, um, I didn't see one, but you know, I like to think that maybe he had yeah. a little flask in his pocket.
0: Somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know if I see Tommy being a flask guy. I think he's just like drinking out in the open. You know what I mean? Like he's yeah. he's, he's he's got a fuck that it, let it fly type of guy. Exactly, and I'm I'm yeah. I'm gonna guess uh, he's gonna go with one of those big square ice cubes. I don't think he's gonna drink it straight. That's that's exactly what I was yeah. thinking. Yeah, big square ice cubes, and uh, he he's he's a Scotch guy. If I had to peg him <laughs> for any drink, he's a Scotch yep, guy. Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, but I, I kind of wanted to transition into just and that thank you Ted for sharing that. That's so cool here, and your article is amazing. Um, but I kind of wanted to transition into just talking about our favorite tommy memories you know there was so much tommy content over the past week and i thought it was so cool just you know watching tony allen um i think it was a clip on the chris vernon show yeah where he Mm -hmm. popped on and he was just talking about how important it was for people to earn that tommy award hearing paul pierce talk about it my favorite story of all was mike gorman's story um and i'd love to hear more about your experience talking to mike as well ted that that sounds just just as cool as talking to tommy um where Mike was saying that when he got married and he didn't get a gift from Tommy right away. And then he invited him to an art show and Tommy, you know, was like a renowned painter and apparently had just like painted this beautiful picture of the church, right. Where, where Mike and his wife had gotten married and he didn't tell Mike about it. So like Mike's wife is saying, Oh, we, I don't want to make a big deal out of this, but Tommy has, didn't get us a gift. And Mike was like, Oh no, it's, it's fine. It's fine. And then he surprises him. A year later at this great exhibition and that that just shows you it just kind of like hammered home for me that tommy Heinsohn was the guy that we all thought he was through the broadcasts you know what i mean like to me he was like a grandfather honestly it's like i i spent so much time listening to tommy Heinsohn. he taught me a lot of words you know he he taught me the word integral which was great he taught me the word atrocious um taught me the word travesty and most importantly he taught me about uh, the brother, the wild men of Borneo, when he called the Lopez brothers that <laughs> that one day. And I was having such a hard time. I was like, "What? What did he call the Lopez brothers that one day?" That was just absolutely insane. And I just went on Twitter and I typed in Heinzen uh, Lopez brothers, and that popped up. <laughs> so <I was> like, <laughs> there's there's definitely some like absolute gems on Twitter if you just type in his name. Um, But I was just kind of wondering what your favorite memories of Tommy were just over the, you know, 30 years that we spent listening to him broadcast Celtics games.
1: Yeah, I think uh, kind of the random love for, for different players across the years. I think we've talked about it before, just guys like Greg Steamsmo, Walter McCarty, um, Mm -hmm. even Scal, Brian Scalabrini. I mean, he was a fan favorite anyways. So, um, but just the random guys that he would latch on to, um, the Tommy points that he would dish out, just, you know, if, if a guy got a couple Tommy points in the same game, he was, he was instantly Tommy's favorite player for the next two weeks. Um, just things like that. I mean, the vocabulary and the, and the reactions uh, that 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 uh, story from Mike Gorman, you said, Greg, I, I saw the same thing a week or two ago, um, I guess last week. And, you know, I almost got choked up watching that, too, just me and seeing how much that meant to him. Um, and it was one of the things I saw at my internship, too. Some of the footage that I would log was from his painting shows or his art shows. And that was the first I I'd heard of it. And when I first started, you know, I kind of stereotyped and was like, oh, this is just, you know, a bored retired athlete who's just got this side gig as a, as a painter. But then I started learning that he's actually a really talented artist and his, his paintings go for a lot of money. It was, it was just like a whole different side of him. Um, You see that and you hear the stories from not just Mike Gorman, who who was his broadcasting partner for almost 40 years, I think, but the players around him, the coaches, I mean, everybody has a story with them. I think Bill Russell just came out and said, you know, they were, they were rookies together, I think, right? They both got drafted the same year. Um, Just everybody had a connection with them over, you know, the 50 plus years he was with the organization. uh, And it's just such a cool thing to see.
2: Yeah, I think. Well, first of all, with the painting thing, I had no idea. I had I had never heard of this until I read your article, and then had, same thing. I saw the Mike Gorman story, and that's also one of my like things that I wish I, I wish could have happened to me in my life is that I was walking through Boston Common and I looked to my left or my right and I just kind of would glance over and if I could see it could have seen a Tommy Heintzen in the wild just sitting there painting some ducks or a night or the <laughs> pond or something I I think that would have been one of my happiest moments in life and honestly I, I like I said I had no idea so if someone had told me this before this week I would have just thought you were making something up about Tommy but I think that's kind of cool that As much as he's felt like our grandfather, he's been in our lives, there's still stuff that that we didn't even know about him that that make him, you know, this very, very unique individual who's been with this one team, been in the lives of generations of Celtics fans from 1957, when him and Russell were drafted, all the way until 2020. um, I saw something on Twitter, which blew my mind, is that, so we drafted Jalen Brown four years ago if he were with the Celtics as long as Tommy is, that means Jalen Brown would be a Celtic until 2073. Oh my God. <laughs> like I that just sounds, perspective. that just sounds stupid. But, but anyways, I, I want to transition <laughs> to, to, to my one of my favorite Tommy moments. And, and I thought about this last night and I wanted to bring it up because I, it involves all three of us. And so it's a game that, that we were watching when, when we were living together. And it's obviously, it's a very famous clip in the in the Twitter era where you can find him talking about Aaron Baines.
0: <laughs> and
2: <laughs> it's one of my favorite things because I think just the moment itself, but it, it's all these little moments is what makes Tommy so special to Celtics fans because you can just reference Greg Steemsma. 99.9% of NBA fans don't know who Greg Steemsma is, shouldn't know who Greg Steemsma <laughs> is, but we immediately know that you're talking about Bill Russell in that same breath, which is insane. So with with Tommy's comments of Aaron Bain it's an early and I, I think I have the scene remembered correctly just because it it felt I don't know it was just a very unique Tommy moment I'm pretty sure all three of us were watching the game together and Tommy makes his comments Aaron Bain's new player on the Celtics this is one of his you know first handful of games it might have even been preseason I think it was early.
0: preseason I think
2: it might have been too. I wasn't sure on that, but it's one of the first games. And so Tommy's kind of doing this thing, talking about getting to know some of the new guys. And he talks about Aaron Baines. Got to look at him in the shower. Let me tell you about him. He's all of Australia. <laughs> and I remember the lot. And I feel, I feel like there was like a pause in us watching the game. And we all started laughing, but we're also thinking about it. And then I, it's like one of those, you know, TV or movie moments where you all kind of look at each other at the same time, and then somebody's just like, "Is he talking about his dick?" <laughs> like, <laughs> did Tommy just talk about looking at one of the players' dicks in the shower. Like, that's that's a legit moment that just happened. That's a Tommy and moment. But, and from that, but no, but from that, it spawned something that for the three of us, we will never forget. If I were to say BDB. But all three of you know exactly I'm talking about Big Dick Baines. That became <laughs> Aaron Baines nickname in our household, and will forever be a name that the three of us can reference with each other at the drop of a dime, and know exactly what we're talking about. All thanks
0: to Tom. BDB man, uh, yeah. I was BDB I wanted to bring Big that up too, but it, it, that also just like you know when you think of ex athletes and these old athletes, and just like think of the random guys in like the locker room at. Planet Fitness or 24-hour Fitness, LA Fitness, wherever you go to work out, I could just see Tommy just like standing in the locker room, just like studying these guys, just like objectifying <laughs> them as specimens, and just like staring them down, and be like, "Oh, Baines, big dick, <laughs> all of Australia," I'm in, 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 on, on the broadcast. You know, just it, that I. Those are the moments that really, yeah. I mean, Tommy Hineson, man, what an absolute legend.
2: Well, here's another quick side comment. Aaron Baines must have a hog because, I, I mean, if you think about it, Heisen's been in basketball locker rooms <laughs> from 1957 until this was, what, two, three years ago? So 2017. So in like a 60, 70 year time span, Aaron Baines is the only one that's had an impressive of enough hog for him to make a comment about it on national television. <laughs> I also think he he
1: definitely uh, thought of that line or something along that line and, and was thinking, I'm definitely going to say this during the, the broadcast. This is going to happen during the game. I can't wait to use this. <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I, also, I also wonder if like he... In his head, he was just talking about his sheer size as a human being and didn't realize that it was going to sound like he was talking about his dick.
2: I actually, I rewatched the clip right before he came on. That's actually what I think he thinks he's saying, but it's everyone else is interpreting as he's just talking about his dick. Like I I was thinking about if he had just changed from, I got to look at Baines in the shower to, I got to look at Baines in the weight room. It completely changes the entire context. But just the fact that he said he got to look at him in the shower. It's like, wait a minute
1: what's Tommy actually talking
2: about here? <laughs> yep,
1: that makes sense. And I think one thing, and to kind of go like a level deeper too, you know, I was just thinking about the guys that he loved and all the Tommy points. He clearly loved those, those gritty players, the guys who would dive after loose balls and he loved Marcus Smart and, you know, the guys like him who came before him and, you know, kind of the the cliche and stereotype about Boston is it's been that blue collar city for so long. And I think that's one of the reasons he really resonated with the fans forever. He just, you know, the same types of guys that the fans liked, um, you know, he loved them too. And obviously the superstars, he loved them as well, but the attention that he gave to the smaller guys, the role players, Mm -hmm. the Tommy points, the hustle, the grit, all that stuff, I think it really stuck out to, uh, to Bostonians.
2: Yeah, I think I think he's the reason that all of Twitter hates Greg and I for trying to find trades for Marcus Smart because he's he's made those type of guys so endearing to all Celtics fans that it becomes blasphemy if we say Marcus Smart might be a good it might be a good offer to get Clay Thompson for Marcus Smart. All of a sudden that becomes <laughs> blasphemy because because of the love that Tommy's brewed up in everybody, but you know, Tommy's it's going to be it's going to be an it's going to be a tough season without Tommy on the mic. Um him and Mike just had such a tremendous chemistry and I thought it was really cool to see a lot of, you know, a lot of teams around the league kind of acknowledge like, Hey, Tommy and Mike, that was, that's, you know, that's, that's one of the top one, two consistently over the last 30, 40 years. That's, that's one of the top two local teams that, you know, you're going to find on the broadcast. So it's going to be sad knowing that there's not going to be, and he had cut down quite a bit, the games that he was on over the last few years, but you still got a handful every now and then it's going to, it's going to be a different season knowing that there's, there's no chance of that Tommy voice coming through.
0: For sure. Yeah. It's, it's going to be sad. And Scal's, Scal's just not the same. I I think Scal offers a lot uh, to the broadcast just in terms of understanding modern basketball, but he's, he's kind of just annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I just got a little bit of annoying personality. So I'm going to miss Tommy, uh, miss grandpa, Tommy. Uh, One thing I did want to bring up real quick, because I think this would be a fun poll to throw out there on Twitter. Are there any guys just off the top of your head that you can think of that Tommy made you think was better than, than they actually were just because of the way he used to talk about them, just going off of what you had just said. Well, one guy that comes to mind for me was Marcus Banks. Tommy used to talk <laughs> about Marcus Banks, like he was going to be like the next, he was going to be like the next Gary Payton on ball defender. And I really, I went out and I got a Marcus Banks jersey, one of the, one of the many Celtics jerseys of players that did not work out in green. Um, but I was just wondering if you guys had any other players that you just, like Tommy just sold you on because, because of the way that he was always able to like see the best and players on the South. Oh, this, like, know, this is a, this is a super
2: easy one for me. We talked about it on the nostalgia draft. It's Walter McCarty. I like, I love Walter. You know, you talked about, we have like personal connections through you via Walter, but like, Man, looking back at Walter's stats and we did the nostalgia draft and realizing he only averaged over seven points one time in his Celtic career, I 100% had this vision of Walter McCarty as like the third best player on the Celtics during his time. And it just wasn't even close to the case. And, you know, we talked about having that name, Walter, you know, it was just such a perfect Tommy name that I almost wonder if the name is what made him love the player as much as his game. Like, I wonder if it's like, what combo, what ratio or what percentages were just the name or the game that Tommy loved more, but Walter McCart is the guy that jumps out to me. What about you, Ted?
1: Very fun to say for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I think consistently, uh, I mean, the ones that stick out are the ones we've already talked about, but I think like during the the 08, the championship season for me, I think he didn't do it as much, but somebody like Leon Poe, for example, like I really like those role players too. I got to meet Leon Poe just in kind of the locker room that same season that I was an intern and, you know, I only talked to him for a minute or two, but um, I love Leon Poe. Tommy seemed to love him that season too. And, you know, I was kind of excited and stick around, but it's just guys like that, that I like to pay attention to and that he always made a point to call out.
0: Yeah. I got, I got one more for you. My man, Kedrick Brown, Tommy Heinsohn made me believe Kedrick Brown was going to be like the next Michael Jordan. Oh my God. Like the way you would <laughs> tell whenever Kedrick, you know, from, from what I remember of Kedrick's time on the Celtics, like he he, he was known for being able to jump out of the gym, but, all the games that he played him in Boston. I really only remember him having like one huge dunk, but when he had that dunk, he got like a, he he finally got a fast break dunk and Tommy just lost his shit. And he was just like, this guy, I'm telling you, he's going to be like the next big thing here in Boston. He jumps out (laughs) it. he was just like losing his mind. And it was just unbelievable. And Kedrick Brown maybe played, I don't even know if he got a second contract in the league, but Tommy really made me believe that Kedrick Brown was going to be like the next superstar for Boston.
2: <laughs> yeah. Tommy, Tommy always found a way to find the the best in people. And I think that's, that's probably something we should all walk away from it is just thinking of Tommy Heinsohn and the little guy and how he'd always find the, the best out of everyone. But we're going to, we're going to miss Tommy Ted. We appreciate you. You hopping on this podcast with us. Like I said, first of many for the belly rub boys here. So we expect you back on here, man. But, uh, Thanks for joining us. And um, we're going to come back in and we'll talk back about some, uh, we'll talk about some free agency and some anything or possible type trades that, uh, that coach Manakis has brewed up for us. Thanks yes, for joining sir. Ted.
1: Absolutely. Thanks boys. All right.
2: All right. All right. All right. Welcome back. Green with envy podcast. Got it going on here. Coach Manakis. It's just me and you now rest in power to our guy, Tommy Heinsohn. Appreciate Ted Barry member of the belly rub boys maybe the belly rub boy joining us here (laughs) super pumped to have him join us but right now we're going to transition here and yo my guy you ready the season starts monday pretty much
0: that's crazy that's crazy but i'm ready dude i'm ready i'm ready for this uh i'm ready for the celtics to to make a move and i got ideas you know i got ideas
2: we both got a lot of ideas we've been in the lab and um you know Uh, So let's set it up for everybody listening right now. Um, We've talked about it before. Season's coming back quick, December 22nd. Looks like that's going to be the kickoff. Here's what we got. Starting on Monday, trades open November 16th. On Wednesday, we have the NBA draft. And then on Friday, NBA free agency opens up November 20th. So pretty much everything that usually happens in about three months of an NBA offseason is going to happen within five days. So here's our plan for today. We've been thinking about it. We've been in the lab. We've been doing calculations. We've got some anything is possible predictions, and we're about to shake it up for you. So what we're going to do here, we got Coach Monakas. He's got three potential trade predictions that we're going to throw out there. Three really, let's just, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just letting the people know, take caution. These might blow your mind a little bit. My guy's (laughs) gone a little crazy on the trade machine. So we're going to have three potential trades that may happen here in the next coming week. And then I'm gonna follow that up with three predictions for free agency. You ready to kick it off, Coach Manakis?
0: Yeah, before I kick it off, let me hear, let me hear some of that ice cube. Shake him up, shake him up, shake him up, shake him em. Shake em up. Shake him up, shake him up, shake him up, shake him. All right, I'm ready to do it. Are you ready? Uh, you ready to hear it, man? I mean, I put these out on Twitter and some people, once again, just weren't happy seeing certain names in the trade. We might have to put that Marcus Smart warning uh, before this section again. Well, I
2: think from, from what you've shown me to, to this point, the Celtics tend to get back some of the better players in this deal, so I think it may help ease the pain, but <laughs> let's, uh, let's kick it off.
0: All right, so the first one, Portland blows it up, okay? In this trade, you know, I'm a big fan of the multi-team trades. So the Boston Celtics, we're going to start with our guys. In this trade, we receive Dame Dalla and Taj Gibson. I've been a fan of Taj Gibson for a while, so I'm, I'm I'm glad that we can get Taj onto the roster. As much as I want Dame, I'm just as excited for Taj. So <laughs> that tells I think he might be the only me. one with the with that view. But keep going. <laughs> I still believe in Taj from his Bulls days, man. He always gave us problems. Um, so Celtics get Dame and Taj Gibson. The Trailblazers, they get Julius Randle from the Knicks, Bobby Portis from the Knicks, mm-hmm. R.J. Barrett and Jalen Brown and additionally Portland receives number eight from New York and a pick swap in 2021 that's top five protected from New York okay all right the Knicks finally get a backcourt worth writing home about they get to bring Kemba back to the Bronx and they get CJ McCollum and number 30 from Boston so here's what I'm thinking Boston, Boston finally gets the superstar, right? We clearly in this playoffs, we saw that our young guys aren't a hundred percent ready to just like carry the mantle into the, into 2020, right? Mm -hmm. So we need someone that can kind of bridge the gap over the next couple of years until Tatum is a hundred percent ready to be the guy. So I'm thinking by the time Tatum's 25, it's a hundred percent his team, but we thought it might be Kemba. It wasn't Kemba. But there is a guy in Portland, Dame Dalla, that might be the best point guard in the league. Okay, and I'm with he, I, I'm with you. I don't think that's crazy. I don't think that's crazy. So I think if we get if we get Dame Dalla on the Celtics, right? We hold in this situation, which I love, and I know Celtics Twitter will be happy about. We hold on to Marcus Smart, and gotta, we hold gotta on gotta to keep Marcus. Got to keep Marcus. Got to keep the gotta Celtics keep, fans happy and we hold on to gordon because i still believe in gordon you know i've said that multiple times i think gordon hayward is going to have his moment on the celtics so as much
2: as as much as twitter thinks we don't like gordon hayward or marcus smart we're actually both very big fans of them it's 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 just anytime you
0: put them in a trade it's immediately you're the villain but continue let's yeah i i so when i when i posted uh this trade earlier today, I got like a few people messaging me from like Switzerland and France. Like are the Celtics really trading Kemba? I'm like, I don't fucking know. (laughs) I'm just, I'm just just saying some shit, man. I'm just tweeting some shit. Hey, Sources say, sources say, say. so I like this trade, man. The Celtics end up with Marcus Dame, right? That's our backcourt Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Tatum Hayward. And then we still got Tice. we still got Taj, we still got the Williams brothers, so we still got some good depth there. It's just like we we have the best player in in a lot of series now if we have Dame Lillard on the squad. Okay. Um, for the for the Trailblazers, you know, I think it's they're just looking around and they're like, there's no way that this roster currently constructed is going to be able to compete for a championship. And if they if they're serious right now with the great drafts coming up in 2021 and 2022. If they just tank over the next couple of years and they might be able to get that franchise change in superstar you know they got lucky with dame uh cj was another diamond in the rough mm-hmm. so you know they get some legitimate uh cracks cracks at a superstar over the next couple of years and for, if you're in new york you bring kemba home and you get cj in there that's a solid little backcourt in my mind, okay. you're basically just tra- – because you're Julius Randall, Bobby Portis, who really gives a shit about them, right? And Taj Gibson. You don't really care about them on your squad. All you really care about is Mitch Robinson. So you're giving up number eight and R.J. Barrett for Kemba Walker and C.J. McCollum, in my mind.
2: Okay. All right, this one was pretty easy for me. I'm going to break it down for you. I'm going to give you the what each team thinks of this, and I'm going to give you my reasonings for it. All right. Celtics, easy yes. Blazers, probably not but they're thinking they're, they they got to be thinking maybe they come back with a counter but the Blazers are thinking the Knicks if they're not the same Knicks and this is going to be something I'll bring up in the free agency talk if they're not the same Knicks that they've always been this should be a very easy no for them let me let okay. me explain why for the Celtics it's very simple you got Dame with five years left on his contract if you can Compare him and Tatum. Marcus is still on the team. Hayward's at that—you know—he's a risk that he might walk. Who knows what what will happen with Hayward? But if you got Dame and Tatum for the next five years, we talked about—you know—where we've talked about several times having that one A player. Is Tatum that that one A? We said you know we brought up Dame's name. Potentially, you have two number ones that can play well with each other. We just saw what two number ones can do for you, and the rest of the roster, you can kind of you know figure it out from there i know obviously ad and lebron skill sets are very different but my point is that's two potentially top 10 guys you do that deal love jalen these are the type of deals that if jalen brown's name is getting thrown around this is what type of return you'd have to get so for the celtics this is easy you're getting dame you're pairing him with tatum for five years i'm taking that all day every day love love kemba really love jalen goodbye moving on <laughs> All right, Blazers, like I said, I think they think about this, but I don't think they actually do it. Breaking up that backcourt, I think, is always something, especially with CJ McCollum. His name gets thrown around all the time. I think CJ's actually a little bit underrated. I really like watching CJ McCollum play. Dude's just a fucking hooper. That dude gets buckets. He's not afraid. I love watching him play. Obviously, you know, it's a little t- it's tough in that backcourt just because there's not enough defense there. So this would be the Blazers really putting a hard reset, which at this point, I wouldn't do with with where Damian Lillard is at. You talked, you said you think he might be the best point guard in the NBA. I don't think that's crazy. I think maybe I'm still taking Steph and depends. I don't know if if, if we're considering Luca point guard, or you know, there's there's some semantics there, but Dame's right there. Dame's for walking into every single season for at least the next you know three to four years without injury. Dame is automatically one of the first people you're gonna think of for first team all NBA. So if I'm the Blazers. I'd be too afraid to move off of Dame. I think Dame's a guy that, you know, is, is someone that you don't you don't just move on from unless you're guaranteed. You're getting a lot of potential here because of the RJ Barrett, Jalen Brown. And you're getting some of these picks in here. I don't love this draft. It's supposedly, it's very heavy with rotational players. So if I'm getting RJ and Jalen, it's kind of what I'm switching from Dame and CJ to with a little bit more promise. I just don't know if that's enough for me to do that hard of a reset, but thinking about it now. Let's get to the Knicks. This is fun because I think this is such an easy no. If the Knicks are not the same Knicks. And I'm, I'm really, really, the Knicks fans I talked to, they really believe it's different this time. It's different. They're not going to make the same mistakes. This would be an unmitigated disaster for the Knicks. Kemba and CJ are clearly an upgrade from anything they have. Their roster sucks. Their roster is trash. RJ and Mitchell Robinson are the only pieces of value that exist in the Knicks world right now, them making this move, you're essentially getting a lesser version of the backcourt Portland just had that they decided to move on from. And you have absolutely none of the, of the smaller pieces like a Nurkic or a Collins to build around it, or even you don't even have a fucking Gary Trent Jr. on the Knicks to be able to build around. So you're taking a lesser backcourt into the East. Maybe it gets you in the playoffs, but you've set up all this time to build your team young, to build your team with potential to attract big stars with these two contracts. Maybe you flip it around so you can get one more person in there, but who's really looking to play with Kemba. Who's over the age of 30 with knee injuries, CJ McCollum love CJ, but I I don't know who's looking at that saying I'm the third piece that goes there. And all of a sudden we're a championship team with there being so many other options that will be on the table. So easy pass for the Knicks. Once again, they're the Knicks. So who knows? But easy no for the Knicks. Blazers, probably not. Celtics, sign me up. Get the paperwork. Let's do it.
0: Yeah, and that's interesting because I don't think that, you know, R.J. Barrett, he didn't have a great year. I don't think he's the guy that he was coming out of high school in terms of how, how the league is seeing him right now. You know what I mean? So in the number eight pick, what value does that really have if you're the Knicks? Like you, do you really think that an R.J., number eight, and Mitchell Robinson – core is something to build around. I think that if you get Kemba and CJ, you are at least, you know, improving your squad, but you're not improving it so much to the point where like you're going to be a contender this year. Because if you're the Knicks, I still think you want to be in the lottery in 2021. You know, I think you want to not you want a shot at the at a top pick. But the following year, right? The double draft, it's going to be a super deep draft. So it doesn't really matter where you're picking. And also I think with the point you just made if you have Kemba and CJ, you at least become somewhat attractive. No one's going to New York if it's just RJ and Mitchell Robinson, unless you're you have like guys talking in the back rooms and saying, "Okay, we're we're both going to New York at the same time." And we know that has not worked out in the past for the Knicks. You're so right. Like you no, have totally names. Hasn't. You have names, mm-hmm. and these these guys can hoop. These guys can hoop. So I think that it at least makes New York start to feel like a place that people want might want to play and Kemba, I think the Kemba in New York factor is big man. I think that's huge. And they would sell a lot a lot of tickets in New York and get people talking and the Knicks just need some there's sort no of fans hope. bro there's no yeah, fans. That's true that's true <laughs> I, I, I forgot we were living in a pandemic for a second. still
2: in a pandemic so real quick so so here's the thing CJ I think is attractive. I think CJ would be a smart move if the Knicks somehow have the capacity to pull off a trade that nets them CJ. I don't like CJ and Kemba there. Um, I, I just I just don't see that as being that attractive. I, I, for me personally, I think the Knicks are better off making smart signings and trying to accumulate draft picks, like you're saying. So I, I like where your head's at. I just think Kemba and CJ, I just don't – there's too much money. There's too much committed to that backcourt as your future. And we just saw CJ with a way better ver- – love Kemba, but way better version with Damian Lillard and that didn't work. And I, I feel like you're setting
0: yourself up to, to repeat something that, that we've already seen. William A. Smith, let me stop you for a second. Okay. <laughs> I th- You just said that the Knicks need to start like getting, getting draft picks and what, how are they going to get draft picks? How are they going to no, get more draft picks? No, right I'm now? saying, I like
2: your thinking that they, that they're accumulating draft picks.
0: I, li- I like that
2: thought process of them getting, of them getting draft picks, but I don't think, you know, I don't. I think right now, going with RJ Barrett, number eight pick, Mitchell Robinson, and keeping cap space flexibility, I think that's a better option than going with this backcourt right now.
0: I feel you. I feel you. All right, let's move on to the next let's one. Let's go.
2: What else we got? What else is in the lab? This,
0: this next one is right. a doozy. Oh, my God. I, I honestly don't even know if I'll be able to explain this shit. All right. Um, so I was, I was really messing around on the trade machine, and this was like the fifth iteration of this trade where I just kept looking around and it, it ended up coming down to how do I get Chris Middleton onto the Celtics? So he stops freaking killing us every time we play him. So Boston Celtics end up with Chris Middleton. Uh, let me set it up. Boston Celtics, yeah. T-Wolves, Bucks, and Knicks. Okay. In this situation, the Boston Celtics end up with Chris Middleton, Carl Anthony Towns, and Frankie Smokes. The
2: Minnesota Timberwolves. There's a lot of names in here. So just if you get lost, don't worry. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll
0: try and send it well, out. <laughs> the T Wolves get Julius Randle, pretty much just a contract, Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Dante DiVincenzo, and Lob Williams. That's the team that I think says no, by the way. The okay. Bucks just get a whole bunch of, of contracts. Right. They get uh, D'Angelo Russell, who, who might be able to like win some games for you and be a little bit attractive. Bobby Portis, Taj Gibson, Alfred Payton, RJ Barrett. Right. So mm-hmm. Russell and Barrett are really the two um, gems in this trade yep. for them for, in terms of players. They're going to get a yeah. bunch of draft picks gotcha. here. Okay. And then the Knicks. This is a big one for the Knicks. I'm trying to help out our boy, Matty Liptak. All <laughs> right. They get Gordon Hayward, who's been rumored to go to the Knicks. Giannis, Giannis's <laughs> brother. And then they get Jake Lehman and Romeo Langford just as contract fillers, okay? Okay. Now, so I, let's repeat that one time: Celtics, Middleton, Towns, Frankie Smokes, okay. T-Wolves, pretty much are getting Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Divincenzo, La Williams. Okay. The Bucks, D'Angelo Russell, R.J. Barrett, and picks. The Knicks are getting Gordon Hayward and Giannis. All right. That. Basically breaking it down. Now, in terms of the what, picks. in terms of what the Bucks are getting, because if they're going to give up Giannis, you need to get you know the biggest offer that's out there. So they're going to get the number one pick mm-hmm. from the Minnesota Timberwolves, the number eight pick from the New York Knicks, the number fourteen pick from the Boston Celtics, and then they're going to have pick swaps with New York in twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two, and because they're going to be so bad, they're probably going to get the number one pick in 2021 and maybe even in 2022 again. So they're just, they're just saying, all right, we did the best we could with Giannis. Give me all the picks you got. Now, okay. the T-Wolves, right? They're probably the team that says no because they're giving up one the second best player in the deal in Towns, right? d I think d sucks, sucks. And they're giving up the number one pick, okay? So Towns and the number one pick really... Is getting them Jalen Brown, DiVincenzo, Smart, and Lobb Williams. And we're gonna give them the Dallas pick that is owed to the Knicks in 2021 and a pick swap with Boston in 2022. Okay. All right. All right. But I, I mean, I I don't as I'm looking at it, maybe you got to give one more pick to the Wolves. Maybe you got to give them the eight and and give or give them the fourteen. But I, I think the Wolves say no. But I just, I just really like the idea of Giannis in New York. I think that's fun. Um, I think Middleton on the Celtics and Towns on the Celtics is fun. That leaves the Celtics with Kemba, Frankie Smokes, Middleton, Tatum, and Towns. Which, eh, is, that a, is that a contending team? I don't know. Okay. well sh- It shakes it up. Shout out to Ice Cube. This will shake it, it up. It does.
2: It does. This is truly the shake-em-up, shake-em-up section of the podcast. You broke my brain with this one. <laughs> Same it's it's literally just a fucking graduation list of players that are looking at right here so trying to keep track of all this is is somewhat difficult so let me give you my my high level thoughts of of everything that you've just presented here high level Celtics I think say yes T Wolves Bucks say no Knicks would 1000% say yes I don't care what they're giving up their entire plan has always been to get someone like Giannis if they're getting Giannis I don't give a fuck what else I'm sending out for what I have for assets for the Knicks I don't particularly care what I'm taking on and in this you're getting a potential uh, at getting Gordon Haver with it who's could be extremely valuable Romeo Langford who knows easy yes for the Knicks I think for the Celtics this is this is a deal that that I would do you're sending out for the most you're, you're sending out Hayward Smart Brown for Middleton Towns is and then Nitalikina is a you know bargain basement version of, of Marcus Smart who do you think Marcus has shooting problems which which to be honest he's done a great job improving on that Frankie Smokes is a is Tony Allen 2.0 pretty much is what, is what you're hoping he becomes.
0: Can I jump in real quick? I want to make yeah. a quick uh, amendment to the trade. Uh, Celtics keep Bob Williams. Okay. okay. Mitchell Robinson goes to T-Wolves.
2: Okay. I think the T-Wolves still say, say no to this. And a big part of that for me is I, I just don't know how much better this sets them up for the future than having Towns d and whatever number, whatever they decide to do with number one. Yeah, like I, like yeah. It's, it's very it's very marginal to make this big of a difference and I think when you look at all of those players we are personally biased in how much not that we how much we like Jalen Brown and you know I think Carly Towns who two years ago in the preseason survey majority of the GM said that's
0: the player they're taking to start was, their franchise which was always ridiculous in my opinion but
2: that's fine. That's fine. But, that, but that's the way a lot of people were thinking two years ago. And Carl Anthony mm-hmm. Towns has the skill set to be that guy. I haven't watched enough T-Wolves game, but from everything I, I hear about him, it's, just, it's more of a mentality type thing with him. But you look at his numbers and the games that you I have seen him play, dude's unbelievably talented. Dude's probably a top 15 talent just in a vacuum in the NBA. Yeah, He's the modern. We talked before about big men. Either you got to hit on him if you're going to pay them that big money or you kind of want to piece it together with those mid-level exception type players of Daniel Tice's of the world, you don't want to be caught paying 20 million, 25 million for Clint Capella. You don't want to, you don't want to be in that space. Yeah. And Towns is
0: worth the money for sure. It's just that the attitude thing that you just brought up, like looking at it, I, I think I would still rather have the dogs and smart and Brown than, uh, end up with Carl Anthony Towns. I, every time I watch that dude play, I'm just, I just want more. Yeah. every time i just want him to try harder he just he looks like he just floats around the court the whole time like a freaking ghost
2: yeah, it feels like him and Wiggins have this you know, stigma attached to them. And so maybe maybe Wiggins will change while he's with the Warriors. Maybe Towns needed a, a change of scenery. I know Delos his boy, so we'll see what happens. But I think for the Celtics, that's an interesting one where I would, I would think the talent probably outweighs it, especially where you're also getting Middleton, who's a proven all-star, like you said, just murders the Celtics. So mm-hmm. getting him out of the Celtics' way would be huge. And then you still have Kemba and Tatum to go along with that. So I think that's something that they would probably do. On the fuck yeah. side, this is a desperation move. This is, we see no path forward with, with Giannis, mm-hmm. us just having middle. They don't want to, essentially what they want to do right here is they don't want to end up like the Cavs when LeBron left. And then they just paid love a shit ton of money. And now they have love drumming two point guards that don't know how to play with each other. And they're just, they're, they're lost. They're in the abyss. They're in the abyss of the NBA. I yeah, don't they, know where they're going.
0: This is if Giannis says, Hey, I'm not
2: coming back. Exactly. And that's, and that's the only way they can make this move. Um, so I don't think this is a move that, I mean, obviously, like I said, that's the crazy part about this next week, all of everything's happening in one week from trades to the draft to free agency. So you got a real quick time frame to be able to go ahead and make this decision. And so I don't think this is in any realm of possibility right now. I think they would rather play out the season even if Giannis does not sign that super max I think they're still at a point where they wouldn't even think about moving Giannis until the season which they may not get the same return but I think given how close they've been to you know they've been the number one seed of the last two years in the east like you you're not just going to give up on that he's a generational talent yeah it might come back where he ultimately leaves and you and you got nothing but I think this would be too early of a move for the for the Bucks to make and only get this type of return, which is a lot of names, but I don't think there's a ton of talent or a ton of you know guarantees that you're getting. But if they if if they're desperate enough and Giannis shows them the signal, it's possible. But I just don't think it's there. And for the Knicks, we talked about it. If they're getting Giannis. Just sign it. Doesn't matter. You you fill in the blank with what you're getting from the Knicks. If Giannis is coming back, I, they don't care they would go ahead and do it. That's their, that's their objective as it should be. And so this is an easy deal for them. So ultimately Celtics probably a yes in
0: my mind. T wolves, bucks, probably no Knicks. 100%. Yes. What could be kind of cool though, is if, um, if, the, if this did happen, I always wanted to see an all lefty squad. So you could have D'Angelo Russell, R.J. Barrett and if they draft Wiseman, number one, that's three out of five right there. Three lefties.
2: Yeah, it's interesting with lefties. And I, I feel the same way being, uh, you know, when we play pickup basketball, we play with our guy Mobley. I always like you have Shout to adjust your you have to readjust your body trying to guard him or just any lefty in general, it throws off every bit of rhythm that you have. And so I think it would be interesting actually having that, you know, three or four lefties out there. And obviously these guys are professionals and I'm sure they're used to it, but even still in the NBA, I wonder what the the numbers would tell us about there being three lefties on the court at the same time. I'm sure the number of times that that's occurred is is not super high. So I think it would be an interesting wrinkle that maybe so they could have the lefty lineup go out there. And it's kind of like how, you know, you're just looking for that pick me up that we talked about, in the playoffs who's that change it up guy maybe you have a change it up lineup and you just have all lefties out there I don't know
0: well we could we could just switch Randall and Portis and that gets gets us to four out of five right there <laughs> there we go that's 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 the next move a team just collecting lefties <laughs> I love it I love it
2: all right. one more one more trade here what's uh, what you got here and then we'll we'll bring in the free agents here
0: Okay. I just threw this one together like 20 minutes before the pod. So I haven't really thought it through at all. Um, but this, okay. this once again, um, this, so this does not include the Celtics. I wanted to do one that is just kind of looking at the NBA landscape that would really shake things up. Um, I tried to take, you know, information of who I've heard people rumored to be interested in this offseason and kind of put it all together into one cool trade. So we got another four teamer. We got the bucks, the Knicks, the Thunder and the Suns.
2: All right, all right. So, so this, Milwaukee- is another, this is this is another. The Bucks are ready to blow it up. Giannis yes. is on the move. There's no there's no hope. They got to move on. All
0: right. Yep. So in this trade, the Milwaukee Bucks will get just players. who we'll do players first. They'll get Julius Randle, DeAndre Ayton, and RJ Barrett. Okay. The New York Knicks will get Giannis, and they'll get Ricky Rubio. The Oklahoma City Thunder will get Kelly Oubre Jr., Alfred Payton, and Dante DiVincenzio. Mm-hmm. And the Phoenix Suns get Chris Paul and Mitchell Robinson. Now, in terms of, because if you just look at the players, people aren't doing that deal. Uh, the Bucks also, giving it up, Giannis, will get number eight from the Knicks. They'll get number 10 from the Suns. They'll get the Dallas 2021 pick from New York. And then they have unprotected New York picks in 2021 and 2022. And they'll get the Suns 2022 first rounder. So th- this is as many draft picks as you can give the Bucks, right? Okay. Um, OKC, now they're building around SGA, uh, DiVincenzo, Ubre, who they could probably flip. He's only 24 years old. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they're really, really improving their own picks in 2021, 22. And they get out of that Chris Paul contract. So you just got to ask yourself: Is there a better deal out there for them in terms of what they can net in a Chris Paul deal? Um, but to me, just getting out of that contract is is a win for them. You know, if they can if they can get a lot back for Chris Paul, then this isn't the deal. But I, I'm from what I've heard of all the podcasts that I listen to, there's not much being offered for Chris Paul. Like the best thing that I had heard was Ubre, Rubio, and ten. Right? Yeah,
2: that's, that's been one that I've heard a lot of. And and one of my free agent picks has something to do with that as, as well, which I think okay. is interesting. And it's just because CP3 has such a such a hard salary to match. Mm-hmm. The player itself, you know, he should get more value in return, but it's just, it's such a hard, hard salary to match up with the right players at the right value. So I've been hearing something similar. So I think it's gonna be interesting to see what the Thunder do. Uh, as far as this trade goes, you know, I don't, honestly, I don't hate it. There's just, I just don't think it's enough value for the Bucks to do this he, he, once again. It's this is Giannis full panic mode. Um, as much as I really like DeAndre Ayton, I like RJ Barrett as well. I think he's, I think he's, him and Mitchell Robinson are the only two current players on the Knicks, even worth mentioning of value. They're the only two that can bring back value. I like RJ Barrett, DeAndre Ayton. They would still have Middleton in this deal. Um, I think Randall's always been slept on. I think he's always a player that that kind of gets. Overlooked, So I, I don't mind the value you're getting back. I don't think it's enough. And then when you look at the draft picks, eight and 10 this year, like we said, could be a lot of role players. So I don't know how excited mm-hmm. that gets you Dallas 2021. Um, they're going to be good. As we saw, Luca doesn't need a lot of help and he can already put them in contention if they start to build that roster around him. KP stays healthy. I wouldn't expect that Dallas 2021 pick to be any good. And then the New York picks, you just sent Giannis there who's going to go ahead and sign a Supermax. And in the East, if you just have Giannis, you're, you know, even though the East is getting better, especially at the top, you're still guaranteed to make the playoffs Mm -hmm. and you're most likely going to be a top four seed at worst, or at least in that three to six category. So, and I know the other drafts are going to be deeper. So I don't, I just don't know if that's enough that it gives you hope that what you're trying to replace with Giannis going out is that you're going to get somebody in that top 10 over those next two, three drafts. And a lot of what I'm looking at here probably doesn't get you there unless something crazy happens, which, you know, that's why you stock up on a bunch of these picks in hopes that that something like that happens. Well, so,
0: I, I was also thinking, I don't think it's enough, but the rest of the trade, the way it's, it's mapped out, I think works pretty well. Yeah. I, I was also thinking that, um, you know, with the Knicks, the ultimate irony, they get their star, um, you know, on the hopes that they can resign him, and that, you know, part of the gamble, the bucks are taking is that the Knicks won't be able to resign Giannis. So if they get the 2021, 2022 unprotected, you know, in, in this trade, mm-hmm. They, there is no sign and trade. They're just sending Giannis yeah. in his last last year of his deal. So that's another part of it. Um, that which is why I think the the unprotecteds are huge if the Knicks aren't able to re-sign Giannis.
2: Yeah, I mean i i have I have no idea. I feel like Giannis has been, you know, he's he's similar to Kawhi in the sense that I don't think anyone in the media really has a read on him. Mm-hmm. And so anytime you hear speculation of what Giannis might do, everyone's just just making shit up, like. There's there's not an actual inside source, at least that seems credible to this point. So maybe Giannis has no desire to play in New York. I would imagine once he gets there, that's that's already attractive enough. that I know there's other free agents that are going to be available the same mm-hmm. summer that he is. And the Knicks would have the space. So, so I feel like it would be hard for the Knicks not like I mean, in true Nick fashion, if they fuck that up. Good God, just just forget <laughs> about it. Like, if you have the man on your team and you can't figure it out, then you got a whole, whole other set of issues that we need to talk about. But I, I would have at least faith in that new regime to go ahead and, and get that done uh, from the OKC and the Suns uh, portion of this. Uh, for the Suns, Chris Paul is one of their targets that keeps coming up over and over again. Um, so this would obviously be something that, that would interest them. Mitchell Robinson, I like downgrade from DeAndre Ayton, but you pair that with you know the backcourt of having Chris Paul and Booker uh, and then some of their other young pieces that they didn't have to give away in this. I think that works out. And for the Thunder, they're just I think I like Kelly Oubre. He kind of fits in with their timeline if they want to keep him or if they want to flip him. Same with DiVincenzo. Uh, they kind of both line up if they want to keep him or they have more room to go ahead and flip them into other assets so I think that would work out along with uh, along with the pick so it's an interesting trade but it's once again it all comes down to the Giannis factor Um, but I do think this is a good transition to to get to our free agents because a couple of the teams that you mentioned up there are exactly who I wanted to focus on okay all right so I've got three free agency predictions coming up as a reminder it's going to go trades open on the 16th we got the draft on the 18th And then free agency begins on the 20th. So it's a weak class. It's a weak class. But I picked out three names that I think are super interesting that could have impact for this year and moving forward. So first guy I want to focus on, Fred Van Vliet. And this is where I talked about before I hated the the Kemba CJ gamble. This is what I think the smart move is for the Knicks to start actually building a team that's thinking long-term and has the right pieces to be able to build on. So you have RJ, you have Mitchell, you have the number eight pick. You're going to have a ton of cap space. Here's the first place where I think you spend that cap space four years, 90 mil to the Knicks. I think this is a very similar move to, to Malcolm Brogdon. I'm not saying him and Van Vliet are the same player, but I think they have similar qualities about them. Uh, and so I think Brogdon got four years, 80, and I think he's probably, I think you can make an argument that he might be even outperforming that. So That's why I was thinking four years, 90 million or so, this still leaves room for the Knicks to go ahead and bring in big free agents the next year. But now you're setting yourself up that a free agent isn't looking at the Knicks as empty, as coming in with absolutely nothing. You're hoping to continue the development of RJ Barrett and Mitchell Robinson Hopefully that number eight pick you draft correctly turns into something or maybe they flip it. We'll see. But let's just even take the pick out of it for now. If R.J. and Mitchell continue to progress, you add in Fred Van Vliet, who seems very much like a Thibodeau player. Gritty, you know, defensive minded, team oriented, um, you know, Thibodeau's always been that guy looking for those scraps. You talked about Love Taj Gibson. That's a Tibbs guy. That's the kind of, you know, mentality that I think Tibbs is going to try and bring in there, which will be interesting. And I think Van Vliet, even though he's only in his been in the league four years, he's a little bit older, he's 26. So I think him with RJ and Mitchell is an interesting foundation that you can then make cases for to have two other guys potentially come in in that next offseason and be like, look, you're not doing this by yourself. You got a guy with a ring in Van Vliet. You got a stud prospect in Barrett, and we got a promising young big man in Mitchell Robinson. And I think that's the path for the Knicks that finally gets them out of, I don't know, whatever the fuck the Knicks have been doing for, <laughs> for the
0: last decade plus. Man, I thought we were done gambling. I thought we were done with the Ice Cube segment, man. Fred Wait, so Van VanVleet, four tell years, me. 90 million to the Knicks. Let me tell you something, man. Fred Van VanVleet's mm-hmm. a good player. Mm-hmm. If you want to build... If you want Fred Van Vliet to be the guy that's going to lead your team back to prominence or at least start attracting other players, I like Van Vliet. I think he was in the perfect situation in Toronto, though. And I think if you take him out of a, an organization and a coach that, that knows how to put people in, in positions to make them succeed, I think you're going to see him get exposed. Um, he's undersized. He's barely six feet tall. He's a brick house. I, I, like, I like him a lot. Um, I think he's steady you know, the Celtics, as much as he scared the shit out of you as a Celtics fan, we really shut him down in that series. He had horrible numbers, horrible shooting numbers. Um, so I, I think that you'd be making a huge mistake if you're the Knicks, you know, you're getting, you're getting someone solid. I just think if you're the Knicks, you need, you need to swing for the fences and, you know, yeah, if, ne- next offseason, not this offseason. Next, this is the building block
2: for that. You think about a team like the Nets where they where they brought in Kyrie and Durant. Look mm-hmm. at the infrastructure they had around them. You already had Dinwiddie, Lavert, Harris, Allen. Obviously, they knew KD was going to be out this year. Kyrie went down. That's what I'm looking at for the Knicks to build. I'm not saying Van Vleet's going to be the guy taking the last shot. I don't even really, to be honest. I would hope that they don't really make the play make the playoffs this year. I hope they get a good pick also to go into that free agency with and say, Hey, we have, you know, this number, let's, let's just call it number eight again next year. Let's just say they keep the same pick next year with whatever happens in the lottery, but you know, Van Vleet solid. I, I totally would have no problem with Fred Van Vliet being my third or fourth best player on a quality championship level team. I think that's I, very, I think
0: that's very reasonable. I think if you cut if you cut 30 million off that deal, then I'd like it. I'd like it. I, I know the market's going to dictate Van Vliet probably get a little bit more, um, but I, I kind of see him more like Marcus Smart level of a player, you know, the four year, $60 million deal. I don't know what the market's going to dictate, um, but I think 90 million is a steep price for Fred Van Vliet okay um,
2: that's that's fair. We differ on the money I think and and honestly with the money I you know I like I said I, I modeled it off of Malcolm Brogdon because I thought that they you know four years Rob, 80. I think Bro- I, I, I like twice the player.
0: I think Brogdon's twice the player that van Vliet is. I,
2: I think twice is a little bit much. I think I think so because you brought up Marcus smart once again take caution. I think Marcus smart is is at a, at one level I would probably I put Fred van Vleet above Marcus Ooh. overall and then I would put. I would put Malcolm Brogdon. I'm telling you, I I don't know, but I really like Fred VanVleet.
0: My guy Van maybe, Vliet, maybe. This was this was his first year that he really balled out. Last year he was all right, bro. He showed up.
2: He showed up in the finals.
0: Yeah, no, he, he showed did. up in the conference finals, in the conference championship, and the finals. But let me tell you something. Before he before he like went crazy in the playoffs, they were talking about benching him. When, when he was going through that shooting slump, mm-hmm. right? So I like, remember that, yeah. That, that, w- that was definitely a tipping point in his career, but still, like, he's not too far removed from being in the conversation of being benched during the playoffs. So I just keep that in mind. Like, he had, you, you don't have a huge sample size of him being a, a really good player in the league, but you're right in that he's done it on the biggest stage, which, which means a lot. You know, yep. and he's, de- he's definitely a winner. He's gritty. Um, he won in college. He, he's, he won with the Raptors. I think um, you know he—he's winning with that hairline. He's—he's—he's he's, <laughs> doing—he's doing a lot right. I'm—I'm I'm just a little bit concerned um, if I'm the Knicks fans, if I'm giving him that much money. But I don't hate the player. I don't hate the player okay. at all. I just hate the contract.
2: All right, that's fair. We, we differ on the on the money, and honestly, I could be off on the money. If you can get him for, for, for four years, $60 million, fucking do it. But I yeah. think also where it's a down free agency year and he's one of the top players, that yeah. may skew his value a little bit. But I for think sure. the Raptors will, will fight to keep him. So we'll see. Also, just a side note on Fred Van Vliet, I always feel like he looks like he just came out of a boxing match. I don't know why. I feel like every time I – I don't know why. Every time I visualize Fred Van Vliet's face, I think he might have gone through the playoffs – last
0: year with like a bruised eye or something so <laughs> yeah. i just i can't get that image out of my head that's a you know, that's a whole know, separate note you know who he kind of looks like or reminds me of who is that dude that was on ut a few years back they're they're like chubby oh, little the little guard. chubby dude
2: yeah uh javon felix yeah he does <laughs> he, he totally does they they, they could have been body doubles for each other i know exactly what you're talking about <laughs> for sure all right let's let's move on to my number two target here and we're gonna move we're, we're gonna head over to italy i got danilo Gallinari. So part of this is based off something he said on a podcast, I believe it was with Marco Bellinelli and someone else in like some, some Italian uh, podcast that then got reported back here, okay. that he's open to looking to sign on with a team that provides him a chance to win as opposed to a payday. Mm-hmm. So with that in mind, Celtics fans, start to listen up. This is where I'm building it up. This is where we're bringing it in. For the mid-level, 9.25 mil, Celtics have that available. I think it's roughly about a little over 9 mil. We go ahead and sign Gallinari. You and I, we're dying for shooting. Gallinari's career, 38% three-point shooter, shot over 40% the last two years. And, you know, I think with this, it does create kind of, you know, it clogs up that position. There's a lot in that area. So I think this would have to be partnered with, we've seen all the rumors continuously, whether it's a sign and trade for, uh, with Hayward for Miles Turner or some type of trade with the Pacers Hayward for Turner. I think this would go hand in hand with it. This gets you another, another valuable scorer that you have a shooter that can spread the floor. He's big, he's long. Um, I think this would be an awesome move for the Celtics. Your thoughts.
0: I've always liked gone Ari. Um, I, I thought that it was a huge mistake way back in the day when the Knicks traded him um, for the, in the mellow deal. I, I you know, I thought that was just so stupid for them to send away all those good players from Ella when he was going to sign there in the first place. And I, I, you know, aside from him being injury prone and not doing great in this most recent playoffs, I've always thought that he was an underrated player in the league. I I think he's a really solid defender. um, Great shooter. As you said, Um, I just, I just love the way he plays, man. He's, he's like, to me, he, he kind of reminds me of what everybody thought. um, Dario Saric was going to be, when he okay. first, when he first got drafted, I thought Gonari just like, he keeps getting better and better each year. Um, I, I love watching him play. I personally would rather see the Celtics keep Hayward. You know, I'm, I'm, I've already said it once in this pod. I think mm-hmm. Hayward is going to have another moment with the Celtics and the guy that I want the Celtics to target with that mid-level is Serge Ibaka. Um, I
2: don't okay. know. Okay, that- I, I do. I thought about that. Ibaka was on my list. I was bouncing back and forth about, where abaka could go. So that's interesting. You say that, cause that was also another guy I thought of.
0: Yeah. And I, I already tweeted at surge today. I said, Hey man, if you come to the Celtics for the mid-level, I'll get that GoFundMe account. We'll <laughs> we'll try and match that contract with the Celtics fans, just throw, <laughs> thro- throwing some tax on there. Uh, I, I would love to see surge in green, man. I think that he's the perfect big man to play with, with, with Steve, within Stevens, offense. And um, I, I want surge on the Celtics. I think, I saw some rumors he's he's looking out to the Lakers or to the Clippers, um, but I would love to see Surge, and I I wouldn't I think Gallinari would be a great consolation prize.
2: So real quick, because okay, I I would like Surge too, and I, I would totally be on board with that Surge move for the Celtics for Gallinari. Let's let's go back for one second. So let's say we use the mid level, mm-hmm. and we were, and and then let's say Hayward opts out and decides, mm-hmm. and let's just say it's a it's a sign and trade, yeah. just 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 for this purpose, and we end up taking turner back do you so you think having hayward would be more valuable than having danilo and miles
0: turner i think having hayward and surge is a better pairing than Kalinari and turner
2: okay okay that's fair enough i i, I think it's pretty close depending no, on it's definitely
0: close it's close yeah
2: like i don't think that's i don't think that's you know i would vehemently disagree with you i i think i might lean danilo and turner over hayward in a um but I don't, I wouldn't feel great about it. So we're not going to get too much into that because I think, I think both of us agree that that's pretty close. And I want, and both of them make me wonder how much better it makes the Celtics. I think they both make, I think both moves would make the Celtics better, but mm-hmm. I wonder if it would take us over that hump to that effect. I don't know.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, if you believe in Turner, I think Turner has some surge potential. Um, and he's more on the Tatum Brown timeline. So it probably makes more sense for us to do it that way. Um, I just really want, really wanted to see Surge and Green, um, and Turner. <laughs> I, as much as I, I, I want Turner to be good, I don't know that he is. So,
2: yeah, I've got a soft spot for him. I was working at UT when when he was there, and I've I've just always had an a, an affinity for Miles Turner. And um, yeah, I think I, I think just because Ibaka is obviously older, that's more the thinking on that, but. Either way, I think that was, those those are both interesting moves for the Celtics to consider, and I think it's something all Celtics fans should be looking for because it seems like Danny's busy, at least attempting to cook up something. You know, whether he's cooking up the Nets trade that we that we won big time, mm-hmm. or he's going to try and cook something up like the five pick deal for Justice Winslow that fell through. <laughs> thank God. The Kyrie deal. Yeah, I don't I don't know what's going to happen. The Kyrie deal kind of ended up being a wash because Isaiah Thomas was was hurt, so that kind of. Mm. That kind of was a, a net neutral, but, but, uh, but you, we you get what we're saying out here, Celtics fans. Gear up for something, something big could be happening. We don't know which way it's gonna go, um, but something's coming. All
0: yeah, right. I, I kind of we got one more uh, free agency prediction yeah. here, but I I think that Danny, I just have a feeling, man. Like after that Kyrie deal happened, um, the, he he's ready to pounce on a superstar, right? Any opportunity he gets. So the moment he got wind that Kyrie was looking to get out, he, mm-hmm. he was making the calls. So, you know, he's making the calls about James Harden, too. Right. Yeah. So I, I think I, I tweeted out something. Maybe it was, I was just texting it to you in our group chat. But I think the Celtics might be looking at James Harden as well. But let, um, so a, a guy on James Harden's level. Right. Let's let's talk about one more guy on James Harden's level. Mm-hmm. Um, this free agency prediction you have. Uh, who do you have going to the Suns?
2: All right. Last one that I got here. And this is the guy that I, I'm going to be real. If we can find a way to get him on the Celtics, Woo, give me I that. Would, this this is this is the perfect guy that, that we're looking for, that we keep that we've been talking about since uh, since the playoffs. Davis Bertons, a guy yes. who in his career, it's a, statist, it's a statistical fact. So listen to this. He's actually never missed a shot against Celtics. Not <laughs> one. Not one single fucking shot. He makes every single shot. Spurs, Wizards, doesn't matter. He's never missed versus the Celtics. My prediction for him, This is so this is getting back to that last trade that, that you proposed and where the Suns keep being connected to Chris Paul. So Davis-Bertons, three years, 36 million to the Suns. Uh, and this would work really well with that CP3 move. Just imagining right now them having on the court, CP3 and Booker in the backcourt, Aiton as their center, Burton's spreading the floor around them Duncan Robinson-esque going around and just creating that gravity and all that space for Chris Paul and Devin Booker to work and regardless of which one of them is operating with the ball the other one is then off spotting up that is more than capable of a knockdown shooter mm-hmm. and then you have Aiton rolling you have Aiton popping bridges you have Aiton ro- yeah depending on they may have to move bridges to get CP3 so that's why, but they also have okay. Cam Johnson and Ubre, so they yep. may have to move a couple, well, two or three of those, but I like all three of those guys. Mm-hmm. All three of those guys, I got a chance to watch in the bubble, and Ubre we saw for years with the with the Wizards before. Um, he's a he's a real true three and D type of guy that you're looking for, and not so a, not think- afraid
0: to scrap either.
2: Yeah, yeah his <laughs> dude oh my god so
0: just just real quick the
2: U, every time I think of Ubre, it's just him flexing coming at was it Kelly Olynyk
0: that he <laughs> yeah, was coming at yeah which it was is, the battle of the Kellys and then Kelly yeah, got the ultimate revenge in game seven
2: which Kelly Olynyk is maybe the least terrifying person to ever go up against he looks like Cro-Magnon and has like the little dinosaur arms with a with a man bun yeah like, the least intimidating big man in the history of the NBA might be Kelly Olynyk. but that's hilarious but I, but I like this move for the Suns. What, what do you think, Burton's on the Suns? I mean, I think he fits almost anywhere.
0: But but what yeah. do you think about this? No, I mean he's definitely somebody that I was trying to figure out ways to get uh, to the Celtics. I don't think that he's going to come to the Celtics for the mid level. He's going to demand a lot more on the market. Yeah. Um. I, I I you're you're right. He fits in anywhere because he can space the floor, and we saw what Duncan Robinson was able to do in the playoffs. And Burton's. I don't. I I I can't really picture the way that he normally, sh- I feel like he's normally shooting standstill. I don't necessarily know that he he's as adept at coming off the screens as someone like Robinson is. I haven't mm-hmm. watched quite enough of him. Um, I just know that whenever he would play the Celtics, you know, there was, there was one moment where I was like, Oh, this guy sucks. And then one game he just hit every shot. And I was like, okay, maybe he's just not that remember
2: bad. he's never missed a fucking <laughs> shot.
0: Yeah. It's but a I, 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 fact. I, I kind of see him being more of a, um, you know, stretching the floor by standing still, but I, I, I need to kind of watch more Bertans, but I definitely want him on the Celtics. I think he's going to fit well. If he ends up going to the suns, I just think he's going to get a lot, a, a little bit more than that. Three years, 36 mil.
2: Yeah. Um, I, I had, I had a hard time trying to figure out what, what price range. Cause he's, he's shooting he's at a premium right now. It's that exactly. And that's, and that's where I think it's probably a little bit higher than this, but I, I don't know what that's going to be. And this is kind of similar to the Fred Van Vliet thing. Like it's a weird year because the cap is, you know, with COVID is all fucked up. It's it's holding steady for the next, for this year and next year, but NBA is going to take a beating with no fans. So what's that going to do to the cap long-term? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's a weak free agency class. Like, I mean, I know we were, we were debating about four years, 90 mil for Fred Van VanVleet, but regardless of what deal he gets, he might get the biggest deal this offseason. There's just, it's just that type of class. It's like him, Montrez, Harrell, if Gallinari decides not to go the mid-level route for a contender, maybe mm-hmm. he could get one of the bigger contracts. So it, it's really strange. And Bertans, he's, I believe, I think he's 27. I have to, I have to double check that, but I think he's 27. So if you can get him for the next three to four years at a rate, that's reasonable. Like I said, I think he fits with almost any team because shooting is such that premium mm-hmm. that, there's not a single competitive team that wouldn't want Berton. It's just a matter of, can you make the money work? And, you know, there's a reason he sat out instead of coming with the wizards into the bubble, the man's yeah. going to get paid.
0: Yep. Yeah. You're absolutely right, man. Um, yeah. I, I love, I love all the, those names that you're saying, right. We disagree a little bit on contracts, but I think those are all great predictions. Um, I, w- I want to see Bertons in green, if we can figure that out, but then, those are some good ideas, brother. Well, I'll tell you what, man, we got a, we got
2: a busy week coming up here. Things are going to get going Monday and they ain't going to slow down until the end of the week. Green with them be podcast. We're going to be coming back next weekend. We're going to see what happens over this next week. We're going to fill you all in our thoughts. We're going to, we're going to be tracking everything that we got going So make sure you follow us on Twitter at Celtics noise. Uh, But my friend I'm pumped. It's going to be a fun week. Keep the phone charged. We're going to be doing a lot of
0: scrolling. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And five stars, five stars on uh, all podcast networks. That's, That's right, cold, man. baby.
2: Subscri- subscribe and rate, baby. All right, we out of here. Peace out, brother. Peace.